Welcome to On the Journey Conversations. I'm your host, Sandy Wisdom Martin. Today's episode is brought to you by the Christian Women's Leadership Center of Women's Missionary Union, where God's mission is our passion. Today's guest is my friend, Kelly Franklin, who works at National WMU. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited that you're going to be speaking with us today. Kelly, you have one of the most unique childhoods of anyone I know. Tell me about growing up. Well, originally, my family consisted of my parents and my sister Carla, who's five years older than me. And the only thing that I remember about that family structure was my dad would put me on the gas tank of his dirt bike and ride me around in the yard. That's my biggest memory. And, of course, my parents fighting. They divorced when I was four. So, obviously, I was young and don't remember much after that. My mom just finished nursing school when they got divorced and started work as an LPN. She worked ambulance and ER, and because of the shift work, there were a lot of 3 to 11 and 11 to 7 shifts, so I have a lot of memories staying with my grandmother as well. Yes. Um, early on, I do remember that I was always so embarrassed because my parents were divorced. At the time, divorce was not nearly as common as it is now. I can imagine. I had very few friends. I can't really even think of anybody that had divorced parents, so I was kind of embarrassed about that, and I struggled with some of the consequences that come along with having divorced parents. When I was six, my dad remarried, and he started a new family structure, I guess you'd say, with his wife and her daughter, Crystal. And I can remember feeling a sense of confusion, like I really didn't know what I should feel. I hated that Most people would visit a zoo or a museum, and here I was visiting my dad. And I had always considered myself a daddy's girl growing up. I still do. When I was little, there was nowhere I'd rather be than with my dad. Of course. Heaven helped me when he adopted Crystal, and she started actually referring to him as daddy. I was so crushed. I felt like I'd been replaced. We were a year apart, and we had similar features like red hair and freckles. So there were times that we would go places, and people would ask if we were twins. I think that probably contributed to that, along with the fact that she kind of went from stepdaughter to daughter is probably some of the reason that I felt replaced. And, and what age were you then? I was six, and she was five when they, when they adopted her. When they adopted her, I'm sure it came a little later. It okay. may have been a year or so later, because in the beginning— We called the opposite parents, like she called my dad, Mr. Don, and Carla and I would call our stepmother, Miss Gail. So it's Mr. Don and Miss Gail. And then when she went from Mr. Don to daddy, it was like, wait a second. That's not your daddy. That's my daddy. Yeah. So that was a struggle. Now, I will say my stepmother, I, I was not like Cinderella who had that wicked stepmother. My stepmother, she always was so kind to me, and she showed me love. She was very good to me. So it's not like her and my dad, they never did anything to make me feel like I should be an outcast. But as a child, I still felt like I didn't really fit in. And I think probably some of it has to do with the fact that it's hard for me to kind of feel at home when you're living out of a duffel bag. Yes, yeah. Speaking of duffel bags, I felt like I moved a lot. Never thought about it in the past a whole lot. I would say by the time I was 15, maybe 16, I had lived in 11 different homes. And there was one time when you went to your dad's house and your your room was gone. Well, the way it was set up, so my, my steps at Crystal had 
a bedroom with the door and everything and a closet full of clothes. And the way their house was set up, it was an older house. It had been actually my stepmom. It had been her family's house. And the room that Carla and I shared, I don't know if it used to be a utility room or something, but it was a small room and it didn't have a door. It just had an opening. So like if somebody walked out of the bathroom, they could see straight into our area where, where we slept. There was We had a twin bed in there that we slept on, but there was no door. Yeah. So there was no sense of what I felt like was our, mine. Yeah, your own space inside that home. Right. So Kelly, when your parents divorced and your mother remarried, that's when your childhood changed dramatically. What did you experience? Well, my mom and stepdad started dating when I was around seven. He was well known as a really good car salesman. You've always probably heard the saying that everybody has a talent. His talent is selling. He could sell anything. Watching him sell a car is a really neat experience because he is just a very talented salesman. Being with my my mom as a you know in a home with a single mom, we didn't have a whole lot. But when he was around, we always had money. Not that money can buy happiness because it can't. If I had to choose between trying to fall asleep at night when you're hungry but in a peaceful environment versus having a full tummy but there being someone outside shooting at the house and you fall asleep on the living room floor because you're scared to walk past the window, I would choose going to bed hungry every time. There's certainly things that happen that I would not have chosen. I've had to pick my mom up off the floor because she'd been beaten so bad she couldn't get up and walk to her bedroom. When I was around nine, I had a gun put to my head because I tried to break up a fight to protect my mom. There were times that people would tamper with our gas outside at the tank, hoping that in the middle of the night my mom would wake up and light a cigarette and we would blow up. Um, oh, my word. And, it, and, and don't get me wrong, there, there were good memories too. I wouldn't want anybody to think that I feel like I have a bad mom because I've never thought that I had a bad mom. I feel like she probably, with the income that she had, which was limited as an LPN, and being, she got divorced when she was about 26 with two small kids. So I feel like she did the best she could with the means that she had. I just, I think that some of her choices that she made probably did not reflect that her priorities were were straight. But we did have some good memories. It's just that it seems like sometimes the bad will overshadow the good. And I remember even you had tough experiences at school because of things you were experiencing at home. I did. Mm-hmm. One in particular, when I was in the first grade, I had fallen asleep in class. I don't know why it could have very well been one of those situations that I just mentioned where I had either tried to go to bed hungry or fallen asleep on the living floor. You know, it could have been a situation like that. But um, I had fallen asleep in my first grade class, and my teacher, I'm sure, once or twice came by and tried to wake me up. Apparently, I didn't wake up well enough, and she got me and took me over to, at the time, we had a sink in the classroom. And she took me over to the sink and in front of the entire class said, here, I'll, I've got something that'll wake you up. And she splashed water in my face and the whole class laughed. That was very embarrassing. Um, I went home and I told my uncle. That was one of the times where I was spending a lot of time with my grandmother. And my mom's youngest brother, my mom was one of 12. Her baby brother was still living at home with my grandmother. And he went the next day up to the school and, and had a discussion with the principal and Needless to say, that teacher never bothered me anymore, but that was very embarrassing because she had no idea what my situation at home was. So, you know, it's tough to, I guess, maybe discipline a child at school as a teacher if you don't know 
what their environment's like at home that maybe causes them to act the way they contributed do. Contributed to it. How did you survive the circumstances? Well, I didn't really know until I was an adult around the age of 30. I had a few friends that brought up some things from the past that I had no recollection of. But because of the details that they gave, I knew that they couldn't have made it up. So I think it's safe to say that somehow I blocked out a lot of memories, and that has probably been helpful for me. I do always remember trying to learn something from the situation, I would view circumstances sort of like when a family member or a friend will stop by your house and you know visit. If I was in the shower or maybe had my jam box turned up and I didn't hear somebody knocking at the door, then when they realized nobody was going to come to the door, they would eventually leave on their own. So that would kind of be one of the situations where I unintentionally blocked things out. But if I heard the knock, then... I figured I might as well go ahead and let them in, be as hospitable as possible, which is tough for me. In the midst of the conversation, maybe learn something about them or learn something about myself. So I basically would, as circumstances would arise, I would kind of accept it for what it is, whether it was a wanted circumstance or unwanted, and learn from it. And an example, I saw how people acted when they were on drugs, and I knew that when I grew up, I didn't want my kids to see me act that way, so I made the decision before I was 10 years old that I would never do drugs. Things would happen, and I would make a decision that, yes, I want to be like this when I grow up, or no, I would never say that to my child. Life just kind of was what it was. But one thing I'll I'll say, I've never wanted anybody to feel sorry for me or Carla, because I don't feel sorry for myself. I think seeing what abuse and adultery and drugs, what it did to my family kind of has helped to shape me into the person and the wife that I am today. You still have a relationship with your stepfather, don't you? Absolutely. To be honest, and we have, we're not going into all the details, but I don't know of anyone except you with enough grace in their lives to stay connected in this situation. I'm not sure I would. How do you do that? Forgiveness and a whole lot of it. It wasn't easy, and it certainly didn't happen overnight. It was actually one of those difficult things I've done. It was quite exhausting and took a long time. And originally, in the beginning, I had to remind myself that we serve the God of second chances. So I started off by admitting some of my shortcomings and asking for forgiveness for those. Um, I looked up the word forgive in the dictionary just to make sure I knew exactly what it meant to forgive. And so I knew that I needed to stop feeling anger and resentment towards him for his offenses. I did a lot of praying for him. And I won't lie, initially it was, Lord, please keep him in prison because that's where he belongs. That was kind of the initial prayer. But I noticed that my prayer Again, not overnight, but eventually I noticed that my prayer turned more into, Lord, change his heart because you're what he needs. I knew that was one sign that that I was actually forgiving him. And I still, I, I hurt so bad that I had wondered at, at one point if I had actually forgiven him or not. And I remember someone telling me that if he hadn't hurt you, you wouldn't have anything to forgive him for. It's okay that you still hurt. That doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't forgiven him that you still hurt because that hurt's going to be there. This was the man who raised me from a little girl to an adult. And he had stepped in as my dad when my dad wasn't around. 
and I loved him. I mean, I'll always love him. So the decision to forgive was super easy. The process was quite opposite. I can see that. And all these years later, it's still a hard process. Mm-hmm. It's a daily choice to forgive at times, isn't it? It is. What should we as the church, as Christians, do to try to help children in impossible situations like the one you found yourself growing up? I would probably say that if you have kids that are about the same age, maybe invite them over to hang out or spend the night and feed them because despite what they say, they are more than likely hungry. Uh, Let them see what marriage looks like so that they know that there are options. Mm -hmm. If you don't have kids their age, love them and pray for them. Just don't make them feel any more awkward than they probably already do if they haven't been there in several weeks or several months. Yeah. Um, Growing up, weekends, which were not necessarily every other weekend, but weekends at my dad's meant I was going to church. It wasn't debatable. And as much as I hated getting up early, I loved going to preaching. I probably slept through most of the sermons, (laughs) but there were some really sweet gospel hymns that I memorized, even young. And to this day, I will hear them repeat over and over my head, and it's almost like during the times when I need to hear those lyrics the most, Mm -hmm. there they are. And it's like, that is exactly what I needed to hear, and it came from, you know, 1987, Southern Baptist Church. What I, my least favorite part was Sunday school. At the beginning of class, we were given a little envelope that was kind of like a check sheet. There were percentages. If you brought your Bible, gave an offering, were on time, you were like 10% apiece. If you attended Sunday school and preaching, those were each worth 20%. And if you studied your lesson, it was 30%. And then there was a column to the far right where you would put your total grade. Now, my dad would always give me a dollar to put in the offering plate. Mm -hmm. That was in preaching. So I never had offering for Sunday school. You take that thought and add it to the fact that the most important thing on that envelope was studying your Sunday school lesson. And you'll see that even on my best days, my highest grade was going to be a 60. For somebody who was an A student and valued grades, Mm -hmm. that will make you feel like a loser every time. Yeah, I remember those envelopes where we checked off our spirituality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do I think that anybody at my dad's church would have even ever given me that envelope if they thought it was going to hurt me or anything? Not for one second of one minute. In fact, they would... It would probably break their heart to know that that made me feel that way. It's just, to me, one of those things that if you have never gone through it, you may not know how to respond to it. So it's just a thought. And you may not understand how the child is feeling. That's a great perspective. One other thing that I would say, this is more for parents who are about to file for a divorce or right in the middle of one or already gone through one. I beg of you on behalf of your child. Please do not say negative things about the other parent to that child. If your ex-husband promised your son that he would be at his next Little League game, and then come game time, your son runs up and asks if his dad's here, please don't say something like, no, he's not here. If he cared anything about you, he'd be here, but apparently he has more important things to do. 
you know, something like that. You may want to, but please don't. Just keep a tight rein on your tongue and shake your head no, or better yet, maybe make up something like, no, I haven't seen him, probably had to work late, but I'm sure he wishes that he could be here. I remember growing up, I can remember, again, being a daddy's girl, I can remember times that I would ask my mom if I could go to my dad's house, you know, hey, I want to go, you know, this weekend, can I go to my dad's? And she would often say things like, well, why would you want to go stay with him anyway? He never wanted you to begin with. And I know she said that stuff because she was angry at my dad, Mm -hmm. but those words didn't hurt him, they hurt me. Yes. And I resented her for it. On the other hand, I can remember being at my dad's house when the news came on, and it was about my stepdad being arrested on drug charges. I still remember the look on my dad's face, but he never said a word. He didn't have to say things that I already knew. He, he could have said, you know, why in the world would your mom have you in an environment like that? But he didn't need to, because I had probably already asked myself that question a hundred times and still had not come up with an answer. So when he didn't say things that he probably could have said, I respected him a lot more for it. I appreciated it. I guess that advice could go for all Christians in the church as well as parents. When you're talking to a child, if you degrade their mom or dad, they will resent you. If you don't, they'll respect you. That is a good word for all of us to hold our tongue. What would you say to someone today who's suffering under the weight of a burden themselves? First of all, I would I would say that you are not alone in your struggles, and you are not alone even in those moments when you literally feel like you are. And another thing is that you are no accident. You may have been a surprise to someone, but your Creator made no mistake when He created you, and He created you with a purpose and a plan for your future. So even what Satan might intend as evil against you, God can use it for good, and He will. Absolutely. Um, I would also say that you are loved by brothers and sisters in Christ, even if you've been told that you aren't, and even when you feel unlovable. But most importantly, you're loved by the one true God. He loves you from heaven to earth to the cross to the grave and back to heaven. So basically you are loved, you are never alone, and your life has purpose. Kelly, what Bible verse provides guidance in your life? Cindy, I'd I'd have to say instead of a Bible verse, it's really more of a small cluster of verses. It would be 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. I used to to pray, Lord, I want to do your will. I want to do your will, over and over. But I would end up stressing over the details and afraid of making the wrong choice. I don't like to make mistakes. I would wonder things like, was God's will for me to have more children? And I put a stop to that too soon. What if it was God's will for me to be a pharmacist and here I am working on a master's degree in special ed? Was it God's will for me to stop on the way home from work and get milk and bread? It was just all, anything. I was afraid to do everything because I didn't want to do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So one day I was yet again asking God to show me his will. I didn't want the uncertainty of the gray. I wanted it in plain English, in black and white, and In the midst of praying, I I opened my Bible and voila, it said, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
and I immediately like almost looked around I asked myself self could it really be this simple God knew that I would be lost in the complexity of abstract art so he drew me some stick figures <laughs> the simplicity of it though it it removed the pressure that would weigh me down from not knowing if I'm where I need to be or doing what I need to be doing because when I am doing those three things not that they're easy but when I am doing those three things I am aligning myself with God's will plain and simple again not not that it's always easy to be thankful in certain circumstances but it is still the the simplicity of knowing that that is what I need to be doing mm-hmm. and sometimes it's the most challenging thing in the world but that simplicity is enough that it makes life more enjoyable for me. Well, Kelly, I am so grateful you were willing to spend a a few minutes talking with me about your childhood. Next week, we're going to continue the conversation. Kelly's childhood was extremely tough, but it was only training ground for what she's experiencing now. You will continue to be inspired by her story and her faith. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Journey Conversations. We'll see you next week, Kelly. Kelly. 